Alright everybody, we have a great show for you this week. We are talking about the 1984 classic action comedy Beverly Hills Cop starring Eddie Murphy, John Ashton, Judge Reinhold, and Ronnie Cox. If you were a fan of Eddie Murphy back in the day, like I was, and I know you're going to enjoy this podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. <laughs> Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Adams, your host for the Retro Life for You. This week, we are going to be talking about the Beverly Hills Cop, 1984's movie with Eddie Murphy. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to call it a buddy cop movie. I wouldn't call it that, I don't think. Or maybe it can be a buddy cop. Who knows? And we got a special guest this week with us, Mr. Cody Tucker. Cody, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show with us and co-hosting this week. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now trying to figure out what we wanted to do when you come on. And we finally decided Beverly Hills Cops sound like the way to go. Uh, um, tell us um, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. I know you, you have a podcast of your own that you do. And just let the people out there know what uh, who you are and what you do. Absolutely, absolutely. So I have a podcast called The Cody Tucker Show. Uh, you know, pretty original title on that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, you know, just kind of ran about whatever I feel like it, you know whether it's movies, entertainment, stuff going on in the news. Uh, and then I interview, you know, different like actors, comedians, people like that. And then I also do stand-up comedy. So all that. But you can follow me at um at the Cody Tucker on Instagram. That'd probably be the best way to keep up with everything going on. Oh, you sound like me. This is the main thing I pay attention to is Instagram myself. <laughs> Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and what a name for a podcast! I mean, I'm thinking about the Chris Adams experience myself. I mean, it it kind of stands out there, but it doesn't really say retro, though. You know? Yeah. See, I actually it used to be called mine was uh, Mindful Mayhem because mm-hmm. I have like a big thing with alliteration. <laughs> I don't know which <laughs> inner nerd in me for sure, and slight obsessive compulsive, but I like have to have things be like an alliteration. So mindful mayhem stuck. But then I was like, well, I mean, I would rather just name it after me and really show off my narcissism. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I didn't, it's worked because out better that way. Every week you're like me, it's all about me. <laughs> it really is. But I, I balance about me. Exactly. But I balance it out by telling like embarrassing stories about my life, things that are very inappropriate to talk about, especially, <laughs> but they're, you know, it's being talked about in from my shoes. So I think it right. kind of balances out the, uh, the inherent narcissist. Uh, my opinion, if you were the one telling the bad story about yourself, then it's got to be okay. If somebody else is telling it on you, though, then people start worrying. They're like, hmm, I don't know about this guy now. But Amen. if it's you, if it's you just selling yourself out there like that, everybody's like, oh, this guy's hilarious. I love him. Uh, amen. Like, it's, well, I will say a lot of the stories are about my family. So that's where things can get a little, uh, Tricky, you know that's 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 kind of funny though because you think about some of the uh, some of the funniest comedians out there that make movies. A lot of the thing mm-hmm. in their movies is about their families. It seems like or yeah. a person, an obscure person in the family, or somebody they met on a family trip, or just anything like that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, all of my like sense of humor comes from my family for sure. I mean, and growing up just being addicted to stand up comedy and like watching stand up specials and. I mean, some comedy movies, but mostly stand-up comedy. And then I just happen to be, you know, I have two sides of, you know, my family. One being very, like, 
I'll say just like affluent, very educated, and then one being straight white trash. So <laughs> the combination has, I think, created a pretty good sense of humor. <laughs> well, I mean, and you talk about stand-up comedians. What better way to lead into it this uh, this week's episode? Beverly Hills Cop, stand-up comedian Eddie Murphy, uh, starring in this movie along with John Ashton and Judge Reinhold, Ronnie Cox. Uh, Man, that was a back then when this movie came out. That was to me one of the funniest cop movies, if not the funniest cop movie at the time I'd seen. And then, of course, it it kind of I'm, I'm having trouble remembering which came first. Was it Beverly Hills Cop or was it Lethal Weapon? I want to say Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills cop. cop. Lethal Weapon, I think, it came out in '86 or '85. It was like I, right I, after. Yeah, I was, I was thinking '85, '86 as well. But uh, and but now that you know, Lethal Weapon's always been known more as a real buddy cop kind of show, yeah. Kind of movie. Um, I've had people question when I say Beverly Hills Cop is a you know buddy cop kind of deal because yeah. they're not really, they weren't really in the same force together. They weren't everyday partners or anything like that. So it kind of yeah stands out a little differently. So I mean, I don't consider it a buddy cop movie. I it, it, like, it is probably not. Like it's there's just a supporting cast behind yeah. Eddie Murphy to me. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And it's, and it was a good story too. I thought, mm-hmm. um, the movie itself. Now, have you ever heard any little tidbits about this movie? Any facts behind the scenes or anything like that? The only thing I knew. So like, I haven't seen this movie since I was a kid, like a little kid. I mean, so to preface, I'm 28. So I was not alive when this movie came out, but I am obsessed with like eighties film, eighties music. And so Beverly Hills Cop, like I remember watching as a kid, have not seen it since. Um, so it was very interesting getting to like go back and watch this movie. Um, the only thing I knew about it as far as kind of behind the scenes trivia sort of thing was that it was written for Sylvester Stallone. Yes. I knew that, that it had been written for Sylvester Stallone. He passed and then they give it to Mickey Rourke who passed. And then they went through like, 50 of the biggest actors of the early 80s who all passed because Eddie Murphy was like a nobody. I mean, not a nobody, but he was just on Saturday Night Live. He was not I, an actor. I want to say he had been in the movie Best Defense with Dudley Moore possibly prior to this. In 48 Hours. I wasn't was 48 Hours before this too? I think 48 Hours was his first movie. Like first starring role. We can oh a starring role now that might well, be the, the, I mean, the maybe, key word I mean, there because in best defense I don't think it was I don't think he was a star of the movie or anything no 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 but I think Forty Eight Hours did come out before Beverly Hills Cop I think I might be wrong but it's about that. well it's easy enough to find out yeah, I can I'm definitely sure. tell us that because my handy dandy web browser is right here in front of me and yeah. we are going to take a quick look so if we go here to eighty. Four eighty-two, yes, sir. Yeah, in nineteen eighty-two, okay. forty-eight hours, eighty-three. He was in trading, trading places. places. I yeah, that's what now, I was thinking. Which which really seems funny in an eighty-four being in Best Defense. That wasn't really a step up for him. Have you ever have you ever seen Best Defense? Never heard of it until right it's, now. It's not the greatest of movies, but it's kind of it is it is funny in scenes because Eddie Murphy is okay. funny regardless. Okay, and beginning of the movie. There's a hilarious scene with him, and I'm, I'm just I'm not going to tell you what happens. Mm-hmm. I, if you ever get a chance, if you see it online anywhere available okay. to stream or something, watch the first ten minutes, and then the, the part with Eddie Murphy, and then it will just crack you up for sure. Is it where does it rank compared to uh, Golden Child? 
<laughs> uh, you know, I would take Golden Child over Best Defense any day. Really, um, I hate. I, I think I think so. And, and Golden Child, Golden Child wasn't really a great movie. Yeah, but that's what I'm trying to yeah. tell you. That's what I'm trying uh, to make. That's the point I'm making. <laughs> Definitely take it over the other one. Okay. Uh, but uh, to me, <clears throat> excuse me, Beverly Hills Cop. Mm-hmm. Well, not to me. It is. It says for fact this was a first of believe it or not seven in a row number one movies for him. Amazing. So golden. So golden child went to number one. Oh, as I know. bad as it is. Yeah. Very crazy. And you were right about the thing about you know Sylvester Stallone being written for Stallone. Now Stallone mm-hmm. turned it down because he didn't think that people would buy into him being a kind of like a naive type person to um beverly hills or uh, mm-hmm. uh he didn't he didn't like the humor in it he didn't want humor at all uh because yeah. he's not a comedic type actor he wanted more action like yeah. stuff so he also kind of rewrote a script and handed it back to him and they said no we can't do that that's not what we're looking for and ultimately you know he he bows out and they go to other people like we're talking about uh, mickey Rourke being in particular uh, that movie script that he wrote and handed into them, uh, not sure if you're aware of it, it turned out to be Cobra years later. Really? I did not Cobra. know that. I say years later. It's not like it's Man, that it's far apart. You know? yeah, yeah. Not even that far apart. But yeah. it ended up being Cobra. And then Cobra got yeah. that script reworked it a little bit more, uh-huh. and that becomes Cobra. Uh, in the original uh, thing here for the movie written for Sylvester Stallone, the character of Michael Tandino, which is Axel's friend, mm-hmm. uh, ends up getting murdered in Detroit, is playing the role of his brother, and Jenny Summers is his love interest. That's how it was supposed to go originally. A better script. That's way better. I mean, I don't know like so, if we go into any of the flaws like early, but uh that was a big one that I was like very like it kind of had me just questioning how good this movie really is. Like, like this, like Michael, how do they care so much about this guy who was a thief? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, right. it just seems like a complete, like trash person. And this dude, Axel Foley is about to go all the way from Detroit to Beverly Hills to find out who murdered him. Well, it's obvious. Like he wasn't an innocent guy. I don't know. I, I like the idea of it. being. It was definitely, Definitely far from innocent. He was even trying to get Axel to steal a car with him after he was drinking yeah. and been, been drunk, you know. And he yeah. says, if I can't do that, I'm a cop these days. I can't, you know, because they, they were good friends in, in their youth, right? Along with Jenny, along with Jenny Summers and some more and some other people. But mm-hmm. you know, um, he ends up changing his life versus what Michael Tandino had done with his. Michael Tandino goes to the equivalent of kid jail for school. Mm-hmm. And then he may have done some time afterwards. I'm not sure if that was ever put out there or not. Yeah, they say Axel, he just got out. That he'd he been just out got out a, then. He had been out for a year, and he said, "Oh, a year? How have you not like you? That's just right. Now came to see me because he'd been out, he'd been out west working out there." And he said, "Who hired you?" And he said, "Jenny Summers." He said, "No way!" Like yeah. he couldn't, you know, he hadn't heard that name in a long time. And but to show how how not much of a nice guy he is. Not only has he just been out of jail for a year, but he's got, what, $10,000 in bearer bonds he stole from yeah. the person he's working for? Yeah. Now, the person he's working for turns out to be way worse than him, obviously, but, you know, stealing from another thief or stealing from another bad guy doesn't necessarily make you a good guy. Two wrongs You're do still, not make a right. You are still stealing. You're still a bad guy. Now, the fact that Axel goes across country 
to find out the exact person that murdered him. I kind of buy into it myself because that was his okay. childhood friend growing up. Yeah. But to make such a huge deal out of it, I, I liked what his police captain says when he tells him he wants to take over the case. He says, you heard you gave it to so-and-so. You know, the man, I know he's a good guy, but he's he's been at a desk for 12 years. So he says, well, at least he's had 12 years. Mm. He's like, come on, you know, is he, he's, you know he's not right for the, the job. I should be doing this. This is a friend. He goes, this is a friend of mine we're talking about here. So he's, his police captain calls him out. He says, yes, it is. Let's talk about that friend. One, he's a hoodlum friend, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, two, a kill to the cop's residence. Then yeah. talk, I don't So he's, he's, he's showing out to him how, how he's not exactly the best of people. Don't be putting that kind of concern into it. Right. But Axel doesn't look at it quite the same because that's his childhood friend growing up. Now, I've got several childhood friends from growing up. <laughs> if they showed up at my door with $10,000 in stolen bear bonds and someone whacked them and knocked me out, I'd be sad they were gone. But, dude, you stole $10,000 from somebody. <laughs> I, I, look, there is not a chance that I would have done this. I mean, if they could have been killed, you know, five, or, or they could have been, you know, five miles away working. And mm-hmm. I still wouldn't drive over there to figure out what was going on, let alone going <laughs> from Detroit to Beverly Hills to figure it out. Like, I'd be like, hey, man, but, know, but, thoughts but, and but, prayers. In, but. in all reality, what, what makes a better movie? The fact but, that you yeah. went three blocks over to check out your friend's death or that you went across <laughs> country to Beverly Hills, where you do not fit in, by the way. Yeah. You do well, not fit in at all. And, they're, and you have to adapt to their ways a little bit or they're trying to adapt to you. While they're trying actually to get rid of you and send you back home, you just well, I'll tell don't you, listen. My movie would have been me right after that happened, waking up, putting a blanket over him, and putting some quarters over his eyes, saying a little <laughs> prayer, and then going to sleep. And like, hey man, tough. Like, you just sorry, don't bring that mess to my apartment. Sorry for your luck, buddy, but you could have got me killed over something I didn't do. Exactly. That's you brought this. You brought this shade over my apartment. I'm a cop in Detroit. Now they're going to look at me differently. That's something else that wasn't really you know thought about or talked about much either. Yeah. Uh, at least not around people that I've watched it with or that have talked to me about it. No one really talks about the implications of this guy getting mm-hmm. killed at his apartment and being a thief and it looking like a professional hit. No one yeah. really brings up what what it looks like him as a cop and what's it's going to do to him because most places would have already uh, what suspended him, put him on administrative leave, oh, moderated yeah. duty or something, put him behind a desk himself for a while until this gets figured out. Why are you hanging around with ex cons when you are a cop right now, a police right. detective? Uh, but apparently he's one of those, um, you know, does things his own way, walks to his own tune. Uh, but that's a lot of eighties movies too. You know, that, I think this is why people love 80s movies so much. Um, my original co-host, uh, Travis, that still comes mm-hmm. on from time to time, he made the reference to, he's always calling it cheese. It's that 80s cheese that everybody yeah. wants. You know, and if you think about some of the movies that were out there, um, and this has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, mm-hmm. but The Last Dragon, uh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, uh, Breaking, uh, yeah, yeah. 48 hours. Um, a lot of things that were out there that just had some cheesy humor to it, but we loved it. It was great. Yeah. The Blood sport. Blood sport. There yeah, you yeah. go. Yeah. I mean, how, how silly is it? He sits there at one point, like he's, his eyes are as big as half dollars 
and he's screaming like a kid who just woke up in the middle of the night, and he's like he's swinging left to right oh, somehow, and yeah. then he's got his hands up like he's praying to the heavens or something like. <laughs> all he needs yeah. now is a sword of omens in his hand. Give me sight beyond oh, sight. Oh. Or the uh, the flashbacks whenever it's that little the kid playing him who's clearly being dubbed. Yes, like, what you couldn't find one kid. He's a white kid who can't speak English. Like this is. <laughs> It is Bloodsport is one of the dumbest movies ever made, but I will watch it every time it comes on TV. It's because the action. We'll watch it for the action. Yes. One thing you know about you know as well as I do when it comes to guys in any kind of action flick, if you got a good choreographed fight scene, we yeah. will watch it a thousand times. Oh, a karate tournament! Uh, I'm well, for why, sure in. Yeah, but why else do we still watch Steven Seagal sometimes? It's well, not for his acting chops. I, I mean. I've been calling him out for the past five years, trying to set up a fight with him. So <laughs> I'm I am not if, hate that if man. if you do, this is the show I want to be invited back for. Okay. <laughs> you, know, you and you and him fighting, that works. Uh, sparring. Get this on camera. Let's get this going. Oh, I've challenged uh, multiple. No, uh, you know he's been called up by many people in the past. Um, you know him and Van Dam have had their things. So we did a show in the first season of Van Dam versus Seagal, about their uh-huh. movie comparisons versus real life comparisons, yeah, the yeah. beef they got in public sometimes with each other, um, and uh, we talked about some of the clips we'd seen at the Arsenio Hall show where uh, he would bring on um, Seagal. Mm-hmm. At the time, Mark for Death, um, Hard to Kill, those were pretty big at the time. And he would ask him about what he thought about, um, uh, he would pronounce it Van Dom. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about him? He goes, it's not his head. A little yeah. smile to him. He goes, well, no, seriously, well, what do you think about him? He goes, oh, I hear he's a great guy. And that's all he would say. <laughs> but, uh, you know, word was, word word out there says that um, they got in a fight one time at one of them Hollywood parties or something. So that's and the Salon's house. That's the loan, exactly. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah and um, uh, I, I'd almost pay to see it because they used to accuse uh, Van Damme of being fake and phony, but when he fought, he fought under a different name. It wasn't Van Damme, right? Uh, if you look up, uh, if he tr- uh, traces uh, stuff back, he fought under his actual, his actual last name. Van Damme's not his real last name. No, right, right. Well, he fought like in like these European tournaments, like mostly in Belgium. Mm-hmm. And was right. winning all of them. Steven Seagal went to Japan and lied about everything. He lied about going to this dojo type temple thing that he said that he like was moving up faster than any Westerner ever had. And there's no record of him ever attending this school. That Aikido stuff that he does is complete fake like it's all acting and staged. Like and then in that story, the fight is that so Steven Seagal has had some issues with uh, the ladies. I'll just, you know, say that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Jean-Claude Van Damme called him out at that party because one of the women Jean-Claude Van Damme was dating at the time is a woman who was tr- trying to become an actress who Steven Seagal did some uh, not so great things to. So Jean-Claude Van Damme basically called him out saying like, let's take this outside. Steven, uh, the story is that Sylvester Stallone was antag- antagonizing the entire thing. Like being like, yeah, show him your moves. Like all he this probably stuff. wanted to see it. Yeah, exactly. And then Jean-Claude Van Damme went outside and just basically like kicked out the headlights of uh, Steven Seagal's Ferrari. And then Steven Seagal ran off and left. 
Now, to quote unquote, be the better man and not fight. I'm sure, right? Sure. Um, uh, would you like to see Steven Seagal and Beverly Hills Cop? Would he fit in that? No. Well, no. He, no. He would have been great <laughs> as. Uh, no, actually, he might have been good as. Um, oh my God, what's his name? The henchman of Victor Maitland. You know, I, I, I've seen him in thousands oh. of things, and I don't know his name. Um, I know. Oh my God! In the movie, I think his name's Zach, isn't it? Yeah, Zach. I believe it's Zach in the movie. Right, right. So, yeah, Seagal could have done that. I mean, that guy's just staring like half awake the entire movie. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, you could have had Seagal. Uh, but, uh, so let's see what the guy's name is. He could be curious. I've, I've Richard seen him a thousand something, things. I think Richard something. Am I uh, Jonathan Banks. Okay, not Richard something. Not Richard something, I'm afraid. No, Jonathan okay. Banks. Yeah. Jonathan Banks. Now, no, he's been in a million movies. Did you know the person that pl- uh, played Inspector Todd, Axel's boss, was an actual, uh, almost not a police chief, but he was an actual Detroit cop at one really? point? Really? That's interesting. Yes. You can kind of always tell when somebody has done the thing that they're playing. You know what I mean? Like they yeah, he, he felt very comfortable. Movie. Exactly. Like Arlie Ermey in Full Metal Jacket as the uh, drill sergeant. Like he was an yeah. actual drill sergeant. And you can tell yeah. that this is not like him totally acting. And everything that man was in, he played pretty much the same role. And <laughs> he does that role. He did the role very well. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm trying to find the guy's name so I can tell you exactly what it was he did for Detroit as a cop. He also went off to do something else later on for the city of Detroit as well. Was he put in a robot suit and fighting? He was not put in a robot suit, thank goodness. Well, it's a common theme in the city of Detroit. <laughs> I got one thing that comes to mind when I, I all I keep thinking is Boddicker. <laughs> <laughs> oh my that's oh, actually gosh. another movie that I have watched so many times and can't really get into it. There you go. Gilbert R. Hill, a real-life Detroit Police Department homicide detective, played Inspector Todd. He later served as president of the Detroit City Council. Good job, Gilbert. Is he still so, alive? No, he is not still alive. Oh, well, yeah, I do believe he's passed peace, away. But he did do a great job, and I don't think I don't know how much other he how much other things he did for acting. But if all he ever yeah. did was Beverly Hills Cop. Then I think he had a great career at that point, yeah. and it's good for me. Batting a thousand. Uh, the movie now, of course, just we, we should probably go ahead and uh, kind of break down the movie a little bit. I'm sure there's yeah. people out there who probably haven't seen it, you know, if they've been in a cave or under a rock or something, perhaps. But, um, you know, Axel Foley, played by Eddie Murphy, as we, as we said, his friend is killed at his apartment, longtime childhood friend, and he ties into something with Beverly Hills, he believes. So he wants to go across country to Beverly Hills and check it out. So he takes some vacation time from work, threatened by his boss before he leaves, mind you, that if he has anything to do with this case, be the longest vacation he ever took. But he goes out there anyway, meets up with the girl that hired him. They were friends with as well, and Jenny. Uh, she talks about the place that she works for, the guy who owns it, Victor Maitland. Uh, coincidentally, the... I don't know if he was general sergeant, what he was in uh, Rambo, First Blood Part yeah, Two. Yeah, um, that's only the place I think I've seen him at before. I'm sure there's probably more, but plays the role of Victor Maitland. First meeting he has with him, uh, Axel goes to his offices, and 
the guy who kills his friend is there with him to Zach. We just mentioned a moment ago. Uh, they're looking a little concerned. He's figured out to come there to see what's going on. And Maitland has him thrown out, basically thrown through a window. Cops pull up. They arrest him. Tell him he's been charged with disturbing the peace. And he's like, I just got thrown through a window. Come on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the witnesses like they saw you go in and harass people and then you started a fight. So anyway, he's taken to Beverly Hills Police Department. Uh, there he meets up with his soon-to-be allies in Rosewood and Taggart, John Ashton and Judge Reinhold, Ronnie Cox being the captain there. Uh, also, he gets introduced pretty much in that scene as well. Taggart has taken a dislike to him early on, and they get in each other's face, and he gives him a gut punch for his troubles, in which case has uh, Ronnie Cox call him over and offer his apologies and does he want to make charges against him for assault um going from there he wants him to go ahead and leave get out of town we'll take care of these things uh and then the antics ensue from there what is one of your favorite things about this movie that stands out um that you just you know since you recently rewatched it which one yeah do you do you think of that as you're watching it you're like oh man i completely forgot about that but that was great I like uh, German villains. There are not enough. The things that the Germans have done, they should be villains in every single movie. But we it had Hans Gruber. We it had Hans be, Gruber in Die Hard. I mean, no, and this shouldn't have stopped there. The Germans have done enough. If I don't know if you're a fan of you know history, but they should they ought to be the villain of every movie ever made. They also make <laughs> there's something about the German accent that's so like just sneaky, like <laughs> it's I don't know what it is, you know. And if anyone listening is German, I apologize, you know. Uh Gershen. But um in they, the movies though. In the, movies. in the movies, they are amazing. Like Hans Gruber, amazing. Uh, whatever his brother's character is in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh. Um, it's Jeremy Irons. Yeah. Most Jeremy years. Irons, yeah. Um, but yeah, like all of these like German villains. So like Victor Maitland is such a like slimy, evil villain. Like without being over the top. Because a lot of the times, especially in 80s movies, the villains are so over the top. But Victor Maitland is like kind of calm and like I like well, that kind of villain. Well spoken. Exactly. I like a Hannibal yeah. Lecter type villain, which he kind of reminds me of. I mean, he's an art dealer. So yeah, yeah. But who's I all an, an art dealer who is also importing a little special art? Well, you know, I'm covered in covered in coffee 80s. grounds. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> some people yeah. partied with their art. I guess I, exactly. that's probably what it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like to me. To me, it was the first time that um, they send Rosewood and Taggart to tell him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great. And, um, he orders the late the, the late supper for him <laughs> and sends it down there. And he goes bananas down. Bananas in the tailpipe. Bananas in the tailpipe. I'm not going to fall yeah. for the bananas on tailpipe. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets a bear, and that's the introduction, the movie debut, mind you, of Damon Wayans. They say yes. His yeah. first part there, and he's. He's like, how much for the bananas? He says, well, the fruit platter is blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, I just need a couple bananas. And he's like, looks over his left shoulder, looks <laughs> over his right. And he goes, 
just take these bananas. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, see, yeah. I love those little cameos like Damon Wayans and Bronson Pinchot is yeah. a surge. Like, they're so funny. Like, they continue that in the second movie as well, yeah. if you notice, with, with Chris Rock playing a. Um, oh, I know, I know. I haven't. God. Got it, parks the car. Valet. Yeah, it's a valet. Valet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Parking belly, yeah, doing that—that that was kind of cool. So they continued tradition with that. Um, but uh, the Bronson pinch up, oh man, surge, yeah, amazing. Surge. That was he's like, get out of here! But I cannot. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you like to limit uh, twist. <laughs> twist. He can't say Axel. It's aqua. Yeah. Aqua. Aqua. Uh, uh, Foley. Foley is here to see in the summers. <laughs> But yeah, that, no, but the whole banana in the tailpipe thing stuck out to me. Something I, I thought was hilarious, and it, and of course, like I said, it extended on to the next group that they sent out there. When the guy looks at him, was like, "I'm not falling for the banana in the tailpipe." Yeah, and he makes fun of him, like, "I'm not falling for the banana in the tailpipe." You know, you've been around this guy too long. You know, put a little bass in your voice. <laughs> so, I ain't falling for no banana in no tailpipe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I miss uh, Eddie Murphy's laugh. Because you know he, yes. like, he trained himself out of that laugh because so many people were making fun of him. Which you know, screw anybody who makes fun of the way someone laughs like that. Is but I mean, little... that's that's what made him unique, though, to yeah. most a lot of people. Uh, and and if you ever watched his stand up, Delirious and Raw, oh, yeah. I mean, that laugh all throughout, he would just he crack himself up. Yeah, you know, like, and that do laugh that. Is iconic. And he won't, he'd like completely shut it down. It's like, God, yeah, sad. Yeah, because if you think about it later on in life, when you start watching other movies of his, you don't really hear it anymore, especially after he came back to being gone for a while. And he brought in, like, what was it called? Daddy Daycare, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't recall that laugh in Daddy Daycare. No, he actually got rid of that laugh even before then. He did an interview in like the early 90s. Like, wait, when did um, Boomerang come out? It was like around then, right? 91 or 89, something like that. It was around that time. He actually like, he did an interview where he talked about like, like relearning how to laugh because that laugh, it just like everywhere he went, that's all people did was just go, huh, 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 huh. like do that laugh. <laughs> like everywhere he went. So he's just like, you know what? Screw this. I'm never laughing like that again. Boomerang was 92. 92. Um, okay. So it was right I, around Boomerang. I want to say the last time I remember it was, I, I think he did it in another 48 hours. The laugh? Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And that would have been like what, late 80s? Uh, that was night. Uh, actually, nineteen ninety itself was another forty-eight oh, really? hours. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, uh, before that, you're looking at like Harlem Nights and um, yeah, coming to America, Beverly Hills Cop Two, The Golden Child. Uh, if we're if we're talking about, they said they said that Beverly Hills Cop spawned off seven in a row. This was the first. Yeah. So you're looking at Beverly Hills Cop, The Golden Child, Beverly Hills Cop Two, Coming to America, uh, Harlem Nights. Another forty-eight hours in Boomerang. Okay. That was the seven in a row that had to have hit number one. The rest of the things that are on here are like music video shorts where he did remember right, the time right. with Michael Jackson and oh yeah, um, uh, music video shorts is put your mouth on me. And that might be when Eddie Murphy was trying his hand at music, possibly party, you know, all, the, did, party all the party, party all the time was in eighty-five. Yeah, yeah, well, Rick James. Um, something called How Could It Be was in eighty-six, and then. Uh, 92, no, 
89, uh, Put Your Mouth on Me, I think was the last time he tried it yeah. and figured out it just wasn't going to be for him. Party All the Time is a great song. I, I loved it. when he, I was like, you know, who knew he could sing? Maybe I, I wondered how much that was him singing and how much was studio because he I never think, sang before. Well, he sings in his stand-up. He does like a little bit. You could tell he has a voice. Like he could do it. And I th- and he had Rick James writing the music for him. Like like in the yeah. video when you watch and Rick James is like, come on, Eddie. Like he's like <laughs> cheering him. He's <laughs> like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. He's like, God, I love and, it. And then, of course, this is before Dave Chappelle made Rick James a household name again. Well, that's uh, where it came from. That's when yeah. Charlie Murphy started hanging out with Rick James is because they were doing that song together. Right, right. And, and that's why it's so funny to a lot of people who remember that time frame and everything. Yeah. And the younger the younger kids just think it's funny because Dave Chappelle is like, mm-hmm. I'm Rick James. Right. See, that's what I know Rick James for more than anything. It's because of Chappelle's show. Yeah, while we're on the subject of Beverly Hills Cop, just I want to get your quick opinion on, on the, other, right. the other two real quick. Now, Beverly Hills Cop 2, to me, was still equally as good and funny a movie. You yeah. still had Axel Foley working with Rosewood and Taggart. Rosewood has moved up the ranks a little bit uh, as far as what he, um, not really up the ranks, but I mean, he's kind of upped his character to the point to where now he's, they were calling him Dirty Rosewood at one point. Yeah, yeah. Because of his choice of weapons he had. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3, though. Horrible. That, thank you. Horrible. And to me, it took such a downhill turn. Yeah, it was like it was just a forced movie to make some money. Is what it, it felt it like. Is, that's exactly what it was. You can do a sequel, like a sequel to a movie like this, can be done, and it be a good sequel. Maybe not as good as the original. Maybe just as good. Sometimes even better. There is never a time where the third one is equal or better, ever. I and, I can't. I, so some people would argue with you on that. I had I do still agree with you though. Well, because I, I love the Lethal Weapon franchise, but to me, Lethal Weapon 3 was not as good as the first two. Exactly. Now, the only one I will say that, so this is excluding like a, you know, series like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, like excluding that kind of stuff, like just a standalone right. movies that have three of them. The right. only one that I think the third one is equal to the first is Die Hard. I actually don't like the second one. I, I like the second one as well. What I did not like um, was the very last one they attempted. Oh, I, I was even I was even somewhat a fan of Live Free and Die Hard. Live Free and Die Hard is not terrible. It starts it to a little dumb, but like the first one and the third one to me are completely equal, like quality. Yeah, like the third very one, good. I actually in some ways I think is better than the first one. Very good. Well, and the, usually the usually the first movie of something is tough to top period because right. you're introduced to the character for the first time. Like, uh, you know, if, if, if we're going back to Beverly Hills cop again, we're, we're first introduced to Axel Foley and his tendencies. Uh, the music in the movie is, uh, mm-hmm. the, it's iconic. The music they yeah. chose for the first movie, uh, everything from Glenn Fry doing the heat is on to, um, the guy whose name always gets away from me because Baltimore. Baltimore, yes. Yeah, Top Gun. Doing doing the song Axel. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's and everybody knows that song. Oh, yeah. even if you don't know where it comes from, you've heard that song and you know it. It's so catchy and they love it. They yeah. play it at different places. You're like, what is this song? You're like, you're kidding me. You never seen you know Beverly Hills Cop? 
Oh, it's right up there with Star Wars and Indiana Jones as far as like recognizable, whether or not you've even seen these movies. Yeah. Everybody knows the Star Wars theme song, even if you you know are 12 and have never heard of Star Wars, blah blah blah. Same for Beverly Hill Scott. Like everyone knows that music. Yeah. And I I am such a I'm just saying I'm just such a mark for 80s stuff, I guess. You know, I mean I everything that I like still revolves around 80s and early 90s. I, I love the TV right. show series. I love the movies, the music, the the toys that I used to have. I, I I wish I had a wall lined with all the toys just to look at, you know, and that's just, you know, that that big of a nerd I am at, you know, at this point in life so that I would still go for all that. Yeah. But I had to, as if it couldn't get no worse, though, I have a Spotify playlist that is just music from the movies. Really, so I do. I, I do. God, I do too. I have the same thing. I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like I, I love listening to like movie soundtracks. Love it, especially eighties. Like whether like Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, all the John Hughes movies in general. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Like, there's something like it makes me nostalgic for a time that I didn't even live, which is yeah. kind of weird in a sense, I suppose. But like, it just makes you want to be there that much more. Yes. That you weren't there. You really it wanted me, that much more. Yeah. It gives me like a real, like I'm so envious of it. Cause you know, I was born in 93. So like mm-hmm. I didn't experience any of this kind of stuff. So like I grew up as the generation coming into like cell phone, social media and all that. Like I had a little bit of time where cell phones weren't a thing, but I mean, not much, but I wish I lived in eighties to nineties where like you just didn't have these like stupid distractions. Movies just seemed to be better. Music seemed to be way better. Like, I don't know. It makes me very envious. All my fallback movies, and I told you before, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I yeah. mean, I even, I, I, I like the Harry Potter books more than the movies. Mm-hmm. I did, I, I did read all the books. I did watch all the movies. Uh, the first two books are just as childish as the first two movies are. Yeah, yeah. But when you start getting three and on, I mean, the books are so in depth and everything, and great. But my fallback to anything is 80s. Yeah. If I'm bored here at the house and I want something to watch today and I've got nothing current that I'm watching that's new. Say for example, I love to watch NCIS or uh-huh. uh Blue Bloods or uh, this new thing to do to do with Lord of the Rings called the Rings of Power yeah, yeah, yeah. on Amazon, all this stuff, you know. If there's nothing new I want to watch on, I'll go back to like uh Roku, the Roku channel and I will stream like the A Team or Night Rider. Yeah. Or uh, I've got the entire you know, seven seasons of Dukes of Hazard on uh, Voodoo. Uh-huh. I may go back and watch some of those every now and then. Yeah, uh, just something that because it's it's all feel good type stuff. Right, right. When you watch, 100%. when you watch it. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and listen to an '80s flick flashback podcast once in a while. You could miss it. Do you love movies of a certain age? Do you miss the days of VHS tapes, VCRs, and the video rental stores? Does the thought of another 80s movie being remade seem inconceivable? My name is Tim Williams. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by guest co-host to discuss one of the many movies released in the 1980s. We share our first-time watch memories, our favorite scenes, and even learn some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. 
New episodes are released every other Friday on your favorite podcasting platform. So make like a tree, get out of here, and go listen to an excellent episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. The ad is over. Go home. Go. Um, See, like, my favorite show of all time, like, or I mean, series-wise, uh, is Miami Vice. I can watch Miami Vice all day, every day. Like, it is just get, like, as soon as the, like, intro kicks in, I immediately Dude. feel, like, super relaxed, super calm, and I'm like, I can. That's one of the best intro day. songs for a series. Oh, That's yeah. one, of, one of the best. Do you notice all the old 80s stuff? And I know we're slightly off topic here and everything, oh, wow. but it's it's but it's cool though because it's it's all eighties related. Mm-hmm. But some of the best TV series themes were all eighties related themes. Oh yeah, hundred oh, uh, everybody, everybody. Well, and and also some late seventies because everybody knows Chips when they hear it. Everybody knows Cheers. Uh, Cheers, and Cheers is I think the most iconic to me. Or Night Rider, Night Rider that. Um, well, that theme is amazing. Knight Rider reminds me in a sense of like the same along the same lines of Miami Vice mm-hmm. with the type of sound that it has, a synthesizer type sound to right. the to the intro and the music. Then you get the A team mm-hmm. that everybody knows once the music kicks in when the guy's done reading the script off. You've got uh there was a, there was even one that had a great intro song to it, but the series lasted less than a full season or maybe just one full season. It was on channel five. Nobody ever knows what I'm talking about when I bring this mm-hmm. up. And since you weren't around at the time, you probably won't know what it is, but it was called the master. It had Lee Van Cleef in it. Oh, I um, love Lee Van Cleef, uh, but I've not uh, heard of the master. If you have not heard of the master, look up on YouTube. You'll see some things there. Lee Van Cleef, Timothy Van Patten. Um, okay. It's it's called the master. What it was, was he was, he was the only American to receive the distinction and level of being a ninja. This is okay, when ninja okay. movies were big in the 80s, yeah, yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. T- TV wanted to take advantage of it, mm-hmm. so they brought this out. And it even had the guy who played in all the ninja movies, uh, Shokasugi. Okay. He plays the bad guy, Okasa, in the series. And uh, you just have you just have to read about this and look at it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's straight up eighties. Okasa is trying to get the master, is all he calls him, because he's left the sect, and you're not supposed to leave. Once you're a part of it, you're a part of it for life. You don't leave. You know, it's like NWO. Once you're there, you're there for life. Yeah, <laughs> I knew you'd get that reference. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, um, so he's always trying to catch him and kill him and all this good stuff. And the the master is trying to help people on the way while trying to find his long lost daughter. There's always that same story, you know, long lost child or trying to he's on the run from the law and he didn't do nothing wrong like Renegade. Right. Um, Well, that's a big thing with like these shows and movies from the 80s is that I think if you don't have much of an understanding of the movies, like obviously I was not around, but I do feel like I have a pretty good understanding of like the history of these movies, just because I've like studied them, watched them, read about them, all these things. But I think if you don't, if you're like someone my age or younger and you watch them, they're not going to be good to you because all you're seeing are different tropes that you've seen a million times, but you're not understanding the fact that that wasn't a trope 
until that movie came out. So like Beverly Hills mm-hmm. Cop, there are a million things in there that like you've seen a thousand times in other movies. But in 1985, 1984, you didn't see him. You saw him every time after that, but not right. before that. So right. like you have to watch it with like fresh eyes, which I mean, obviously it's hard to do. Like you have to watch it in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is hard to go back and watch something you've seen a million times. It's like watching The Goonies. I yeah, love yeah. to watch the. I can watch The Goonies anytime. If you say, "Hey, let's sit and watch The Goonies," I'm all for it. But there are things that's, that you know sometimes people will point out, and I'd be like, you know, I never saw that the first eight hundred times I watched it. Oh yeah, you know where was that at? Yeah, you know, it's awesome. But yeah. you know, and I don't know. Uh, but this. Uh, the Beverly Hills Cop thing, I don't know if you knew this or not. Uh, of course, we talked about it being written for Stallone at first and changed mm-hmm. around. It had so many rewrites and stuff done to it that they yeah. got to points where they had, they just had holes. So it had nothing to fill it in. So when they reached moments like that, they say that Eddie Murphy would just ad-lib and come up with stuff on the spot and say, how about this? How about that? And uh, it's talking right here where it says about Eddie Murphy and Ashton and Reinhold improved. I'm sorry. Improved, improvised uh, most of their co- uh, comedic lines. This is literally oh. hundreds of takes were ruined by cast members, actors, or the director laughing during shooting during the super cop monologue. Do you remember the super cop monologue? Was gave super, and do you can see them laughing <laughs> the entire time? I said that, uh, I said that Reinhold is pitching his pinching his right thigh or his thigh mm-hmm. really hard through his pocket. Yeah, yeah, trying not to laugh, and that Ashton um, is kind of pinching his face hard and looking down in apparent frustration. Oh, he's laughing! But but he's he actually is, laughing. Oh no, he is—he is laughing hysterically, and like, yes, he's just you know, obviously these dudes are real actors. So like, he knows how to hide it, but even yeah. with his like skills, like he is not hiding it. Like when he looks up, he's still smiling, and his face is red. He's just like, oh, yes. Man. <laughs> And it's just, it, and just to to know that you could just improvise on the spot like that and make it so great that it would stick. A, a lot of great actors will do that though; they'll yeah. improvise things on the spot, and it ends up sticking and everything. I think Harrison Ford's done a few things like that for movies, uh, Indiana Jones and Star Wars, both, yeah, um, and such. But um, let me find something, a couple more things here to read off to you that you may or may not have heard. These are just some interesting trivia things here. Mm-hmm about uh beverly hills cop and then we're going to get to a toward the ending there because one of these tidbits has something to do with about the ending of the movie basically okay actually we'll go ahead and get to that first we'll do that first victor maitland's estate where they are uh there to rescue jenny and they're being shot at with machine guns and other stuff and they're taking the run and little dive rolls and all this stuff and everything through there till they get in the house that house is the same uh courtyard area of a house there where they filmed commando where schwarzenegger is coming in guns yeah. blazing taking out like 500 different people with his ak-47 and his Uzi. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's the same courtyard and house there that he's coming through right there okay they it, filmed it, it, that yeah it looks so familiar like when i the whole time <laughs> i was watching i was like i've this like i've seen this house i don't know mm-hmm. where i've seen this house 
and that, even now, like I don't think it's Commando that I've seen it from. I think there's an, another movie that it was in too. And I'm sure, I'm sure there probably was. But I do remember no. it from Commando. Like now that yeah. you said that, I yeah, I completely remember that. There are some things I would not pick up on because I'm not thinking about it. I wouldn't look yeah. at it. Like uh, we did Point Break not too long ago, uh, the 19 not 1991 Point Break mm-hmm. um, with Swayze and, and Reeves and uh, the the beach where they were doing the football game. Yes. Well, they were all, all the surfers were playing football there. Right. That's the same stretch of beach that they have filmed the Karate Kid, where they were playing soccer, having the beach have, party that night. I have heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Point Break is top five favorite movies ever. Oh, it's a great Utah, movie. Utah, give me two. God, those meatball subs. Meatball subs must have been amazing to make him leave to go get him during the middle of a bank robbery. But, right. Well, the bank robbery hadn't happened yet. Well, but they knew or it was a about to happen. And, yeah, and it had to be coming like, up soon. I mean, you would think you'd sit there and wait a little bit before you send Reeves to go get lunch. And oh, two, no. Two oh. meatball subs is, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, uh, maybe he was hungry. <laughs> well, Gary Busey has his own problems, so who knows? Yeah, that, now that he does. Gary Busey's <laughs> a problem all on his own. Well, yeah. Um, Axel Foley's T-shirt that he had on uh, is from Mumford, a real-life Detroit area school. One of the filmmakers attended. When the film came out, the school got orders for the shirts from customers all over the world. It was big for them. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, and yeah. actually, kind of, and that kind of worked out for the school too. As you're thinking, some people, um, I've, I've, we've actually done this episode before, and I got the idea from listening to another another podcast I listened to. A couple of great guys that do one. Uh, Talking about your your man cave, your eighties man cave, from okay. the, the prop props from the movies or what you would take, oh, and uh, Axel Foley's, I think it was his jacket that came up, not his shirt, but his jacket. Okay, the hoodie or the like the gray sweater. I want to say no, the Detroit, uh, the Detroit jacket itself. Detroit jacket. Man, I don't remember him wearing the Detroit. Ja- oh yes. Never mind, never mind. I know where you're to. Jesus, that was yep. <laughs> Yeah. Are you sure you didn't get in? Hey, are you sure you didn't get into some of that artwork they had there or I, something? I, man, I, I don't know. I'm, it's like I was smelling burnt toast or something over here. <laughs> uh, oh that, that, I don't know if you noticed or not, but Eddie Murphy never would take anything that was a drug of any kind. He wouldn't even yeah. drink coffee. For the longest, he wouldn't drink coffee. Uh, they tried to get him to drink coffee when he was getting tired on set, and he refused to even do that. Uh, ultimately, you know, taking a couple of sips to um, uh, stay awake. And after he took a few sips of coffee to stay awake, he actually got energized and ad libbed the Supercop monologue. Wow. That yeah. was where that came from. Oh, my God. Yeah. I see. I've heard that about him that he's like super clean cut, like as far as, you know, drugs, alcohol, cigarette. Like he doesn't do any. I think he smokes cigars now or did for a little bit but like i mean he is like notorious for going to these huge clubs and doing nothing just drinking like pineapple juice and stuff which yeah i mean you know as a recovering alcoholic i am highly supportive of uh anyone who can do that and i'm sure he's been offered every drug on the planet probably so i mean hanging around rick jane for example for a while yeah yeah um, i mean with rick james sneezes it looks like you're in aspen <laughs> I I am I'm kind of like Eddie Murphy in my own sense. I mm-hmm. and none of my friends ever believed me at first. No co-workers I ever have when I tell them if they don't believe me. I have never in my life 
had a drink of alcohol and I've never done any kind of drug. I've never, I don't smoke or anything. Good. They're like, well, what do you do for fun? I'm like, well, I'm a big Everything nerd. Else. I'm yeah. a big nerd. I play games. I watch movies. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, everything but that. I, I, it, it bothers me so much when people do that to people, like try to like shame them for not drinking or smoking yeah. or doing drugs. Like, because I mean, whenever I quit drinking, it was the same thing. Like, everybody's like, well, what are you going to do now? Like, uh, probably the same things I was doing when I wasn't before I was old enough to drink. I mean, only, only you'll be sober and able to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I, I never have had a problem like hearing somebody say, like, yeah, I've never drank before. Like, good. Don't start. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You're not missing out. No, you're really not. Uh, no, it tastes I, I used, worse than you think it does. That's I the used, crazy thing. I used to ask people all the time when they were saying that, you know, you're not going to have any fun. And I said, well, <laughs> what's what's fun about, you know, waking up the next morning with a, your head about to explode, hung over a toilet, you know, and hope that you don't go face first down in the water you don't want to be in? You know, what's what's great about that? And I was, oh. Like, well, I can't really explain it to you. You just have to experience it. Well, the the idea, I mean, the explanation I've heard that actually makes the most sense and is is why I drink a lot for a while was um, when you're drinking, you're buying happiness from tomorrow. That is 100% what it is because you are (laughs) having a blast (laughs) that night. But that next day is so bad. And somehow (laughs) it's worth it. I mean, for a short enough amount of time, eventually it's just now nah, I'm burnt out. But yeah, you know, and yeah. I, you, I, you, I, mentioned, you, you mentioned Bronson Pinchot earlier doing the, uh-huh. the surge. It says he got his accent and mannerisms from a female makeup crew member he worked with on an earlier project. And she always wore sunglasses both inside and out. And he would be like, how could you even tell what you're doing? You've got sunglasses on. And she would brush my hand away with limp arms and say, don't be stupid. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> And that's what he was saying, you know, and just saying, you know, like, oh, yeah. don't be stupid. There's no problem at all, right? <laughs> um, they said Beverly Hills police would not provide them access to the headquarters for any shooting of any kind. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's probably normal. That's no shock. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a normal thing. So they had to create something that was the exact opposite of a police department in Detroit. They mm-hmm. said, um, let's see here. I told you about the first of seven. Highest grossing rated R film in the U.S. until The Matrix Reloaded in 2003 eclipsed it 19 years later. They did say, however, if inflation was taken into account, that it would be the third highest grossing R rated after The Exorcist and The Godfather. Really? The Godfather? See, I I didn't know The Godfather made that much money. I knew The Exorcist. The Exorcist was a, you know. Yeah. God, well, The Godfather in 72, that was a very big movie, uh, moneymaker. Yeah. That's a very crazy. popular wow. movie. That's amazing. Uh, it says here, trying to find Foley in Rosewood, the LAPD used a quote-unquote satellite tracking system at the time that it was made up in advance to advance the plot. It was invented later, however, and it was a predecessor of the modern-day GPS. Suck it, so, Eddie Lamar. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that they invented it, but hey. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're going to have Eddie Lamar state coming after you. Well, they had a hand in it anyway, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Oh, let's see here. Film debut of Damon Wayans, first film to be released to over 2,000 theaters in the U.S. The movie itself, by the way, I did not even bring this up, and I usually do. Uh, maybe Paramount Pictures opened up the weekend on December the 9th, 1984. The estimated budget was $13 million. How much do you think it grossed worldwide? Mm. Man, that's tough. 85. Mm. 316,360,478 worldwide. That's not inflation. That's how much in 1984. Yes. That is, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. There's only a few movies back in that time frame I can think that made money like that. Yeah, E.T., I think. I mean, think of the estimated budget was only, the estimated budget was just 13 million. Yeah, which is. So, I mean, mean, if they had made, if they had made 45 million off of it, they'd call it a success. Oh, Because they would have made, you know, three, three and a half times the money back off of it or something. But look how much money they made. It's something else. This is also a film that marked a change in the career of Ronnie Cox. He was often used for the kind of the fatherly like characters. Mm Mm-hmm. But then he got taken as corporate villains, Total Recall, RoboCop. Um, yeah, yeah. Then he gets the job as this, which is good. Um, there was a name that they have uh, put with the movie here, Martin Brest, uh, yeah. fired from War Games in '83, which was a great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, second directing job, the industry thought he was damaged goods, but Dan uh, Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer disagreed, and they eventually called him and asked him to direct the film. It's a rumor that he flipped a coin to see whether he would take it or not. Oh, that's a great coin toss. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, do you know what movie Eddie Murphy passed on to make this movie? Ghostbusters. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I knew. Uh, he got replaced by Ernie Hudson, which is, I mean, tough break for Ernie Hudson. Like, I mean, uh, I don't know. It's not like it's not like Ernie Hudson was up for Axel Foley either, though. Well, so. no, but I mean, like, I guess it's really more of a tough break for or a good call for Eddie Murphy because I mean, no yeah. one cares about Ernie Hudson's character in Ghostbusters. But then but you had, but then, it was different. Like the character was way more prominent in the movie than whenever he backed out. They cut the. Uh, Harold Ramis cut the character down like a lot. And then of course he's got to take that comparison to you know all the time be like, you know, I heard Eddie Murphy almost had your job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or that the only reason you have this job is because of Eddie Murphy. There you go. Down, which I mean, there you go. Yeah. Now originally in one of the drafts written for Stallone, the Billy Rosewood character uh was gonna get killed halfway off through the script. Oh, I am very glad, gone. very glad they did not do that. No, um, he was one of the bright spots in Beverly Hills Cop Three. If they had a bright spot in it, yeah, I guess because yeah. he was a returning character, at least. And um, once again, Beverly Hills Cop Three. Sorry for the people who are listening. It's just not a great movie. It's um, the first weekend. The movie took in fifteen million two hundred fourteen thousand eight hundred and five. So it made its money back plus a little in the first weekend. It broke the record that the best little whorehouse in Texas did. Previous already weekend box record of eleven million eight hundred seventy four thousand. <laughs> the quoted rate for a hotel room when he's in there trying oh, to get the yeah. hotel room and um, they won't give him a place. They said you got no reservation. You know, uh, two hundred thirty five dollars. They said you adjust that for inflation in twenty nineteen. That'd be six hundred thirty bucks a night. Which honestly, 
is probably about, I mean, it, it probably costs way more than that now for a suite in Beverly Hills. Oh yeah. So he was actually getting a good, he was getting a good deal. Cause I mean, six. Yeah. I mean, that's actually what probably most hotels cost in Beverly Hills. Like not even a suite. Yeah. This movie was 1984's second highest grossing film worldwide after Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Uh, okay. I was wondering, like, what? how would that not be number one? But, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that, that did better. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop did not allow filming in the streets after 10.30 p.m., so the filmmakers moved production to Pasadena. Um, I guess yeah. you can always tell people you were in Beverly Hills. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. And it's in the scene where Axel's explaining to Lieutenant Bogomil, which was Ronnie Cox, what went down at the strip club, Martin Brest knows it was completely closed set with no oxygen or central air being pumped in. Since it was the middle of August, the set was ridiculously hot and everyone was extremely sluggish. He mentions Eddie Murphy, who had hardly ever drank coffee in his life, had a cup of coffee before shooting the scene. We talked about this earlier. We're just kind of expanding on it now. And it set him off the wall. If you look closely, you notice Murphy's eyes are twitching quite a bit in the scene. Also look closely, you'll notice John Ashton's cracking up through the entire scene. Yeah. I mean, they look like the type of people you'd see at a strip club in Beverly Hills. Pretty Dudes much, tweaking yes. and wearing suits. So overall, for the movie itself, and this is not including the two and three, overall just for you know Beverly Hills Cop itself, uh Go ahead and give me your final take on it. What you, uh, what your favorite part about it was exactly? You know, what you wish they might have done better or something different. Just you know, put it all out there. All right. So again, like hadn't seen it in forever, so I did not remember any of this. Or I mean, a few like iconic scenes, but for the most part, I did not remember much of this movie. Um. So, I mean, it was a blast getting to rewatch it. Cause I was like, man, this movie is so good. Like, and then hearing that iconic, you know, Axel F uh, theme, the Harold Faltermeyer music, you're like, oh my God. Like, there's just something very, like, kind of a throwback, nostalgic, easy watch. Like, that's the best way I can think of to describe it. Like, you can watch this movie and not really pay attention to it or watch it, like, with popcorn, lights out, full focus. And it's, like still good either way. Like there's something about these movies, like especially like in from the eighties where like you can watch these movies over and over and they don't get old, whether it's breakfast club, uh, yeah, pretty and pink, like all, all these movies just stay good and they almost get better. The more you watch it, Eddie Murphy's incredible. All the, um, you know, co-stars are amazing. Judge Reinhold to me does not get enough credit for this movie. Like Judge Reinhold, nobody cares about Judge Reinhold, except for maybe Fast Times at Richmond High, which he is great in. But like his character is one of my favorite things about this movie. Actually, they're talking like uh Judge Reinhold and um Taggart, like their dialogue together, I think is funnier than Eddie Murphy's dialogue in this movie, which you know kind of says a lot. But I think their connection is way funnier. It's probably my favorite part of this movie. There, you know, speaking of which, there is something about that in here actually. Uh, to cast the roles of Rosewood and Taggart, the director paired up various finalists and asked them to do improvisation to get a feel for their chemistry. He paired up Judge Reinhold and John Ashton and gave them the following direction You are a middle aged couple married for years, you're having a conversation on an average evening. Reinhold immediately picked up a nearby magazine 
and the two improvised the five pounds of red meat in his bowels bit, almost exactly as it eventually appears in the movie. That is my favorite line of the movie. Is that line is like, well, I've noticed you've been eating a lot of red meat lately. Like, (laughs) it is so good. Like, Judge Reinhold is is a very funny person. Doesn't get enough credit for being really funny. Like, he's funny in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, for sure. But he's really funny in this movie. He just gets overshadowed by Eddie Murphy, which, you know, is... Yeah, you know, I guess that's bad. that's not a bad person to get overshadowed by, but I'm no, I, I really like Judge Reinhold in this movie. So also, your- oh, mm-hmm. one, so one other thing, I hope to God there is never a remake, because I know that is just a thing that every movie from the eighties that is successful, it actually is staggering to me how there has not been a remake of this yet. Which I, I mean, there's you. not, is there? Like, there's no TV no. version or anything like no. that. Okay, okay, yeah. It is staggering that this movie could be this successful and iconic, and they haven't tried to ruin it with a crappy remake with Kevin Hart. So I will tell you this: um, you were telling me you listened to the show where I had Keith Coogan on, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, Darren. I don't know if you got to hear the whole thing or not, but at one point we're bringing up where I said I hope. That there are some movies that they never do a remake of. Adventures in Babysitting was one of them, but I come to find out, I believe they did a TV version of Adventures in Babysitting. Really? I, I think when I looked yes, at Adventures, did. They did. yeah, yeah. So yeah. I I never knew about it. I didn't see it, but I was listing off things like The Last Dragon and The Big Trouble in Little China, and he says, "Well, Chris, he guesses I I hate to break your heart on something, buddy, but uh." You know, you you very well may see some of them remade. I don't know. It's movies you don't want to see. Here, here's yeah. the deal. After thirty, if it, if, if it's longer than thirty five years, mm-hmm. you won't see one. Beverly Hills Cop's been out longer than thirty five years. So you're not going to see a remake of it. I don't think. It's you still may see it. You still may. Right, right. But the chances of it are are a lot lesser, according to what he was talking about, because after thirty five years. Um, it depends on who did this, the writing of the screenplay and all this other uh-huh. stuff and everything, and uh, it would revert back to them if nothing has been done with it since. Which it was Martin Brest, I think, wrote it, and there was it, a co-writer. Yeah, it was nominated for an Oscar for best screenplay, which I didn't is know that. insane. Yeah, I mean, who would ever think? I mean, not that it didn't deserve it. I mean, well, and the Oscars are a complete joke, anyways. But right. it is amazing to me that a movie that is a comedy buddy cop ish action movie was nominated for the Academy Award for best original screenplay. Also, it came, the idea was written by Michael Eisner, which I don't know if you saw that too, but yeah. Michael Eisner, who at the time was ahead of Paramount, he wrote, he actually came up with this idea before he became the, the Fuhrer of Disney. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Michael Eisner did a lot of good things. I guess I shouldn't say those things about him. Well, everybody's got their good and bad, right? Yeah, yeah. So way more of the other. <laughs> that is true. That is that is true. Here's your Michael Eisner bit right here. Okay. Uh, head of Paramount Pictures came up with the film's concept in '75 while driving an old station wagon that is first owned in New York City. He was stopped for speeding on the freeway. The police officer treated him with condescension due to the condition of the vehicle. <laughs> the same old crappy Ford Nova you was or Chevy Nova you was driving. Yep. What are you driving now? Same old crappy Chevy Nova. <laughs> um, so uh, he he realized the degree to which the status is measured in LA, but what kind of car you drive? And he reportedly exchanged the station wagon for a Mercedes Benz the following day. 
However, he became dedicated to enshrining the event in a film about Beverly Hills policemen. So it's kind of thanks to that policeman yeah. that pulled him over. We get this idea for it and everything, I guess, you know, it's kind of oh, yeah. cool. Kind of cool. And I don't know if you know this or not. I'm sure you probably do. You're, I'm sure you're up on most of the current stuff and everything. Uh-huh. Uh, not a remake of Beverly Hills Cop, but a Beverly Hills Cop number four. Oh, that is happening. A Netflix thing. Oh, God. It's going to be a Netflix. Uh, it's not not a it's not a Cobra Kai thing where it's a series. Okay, it's a movie. Okay. But it's still, but it's, but it's Beverly Hills Cop 4 with Eddie Murphy or without Eddie, Eddie Murphy? Eddie Murphy, John Ashton, and Judge Reinhold, all three are on board. Well, that's that's not. Oh. Cool. I don't know, I, man. I don't Billy, know to see. Uh, I don't know to think about it either. All right, all right. Two things. Yeah, two God. two things. This movie I just mentioned, uh-huh. and Lethal and Lethal Weapon Five. Both of them supposedly are going to happen, and you can't tell me that you can find an idea to pitch to me right now that's going to make them both make sense and sound good to me. Yeah, now, a, friend, well, a friend of mine says Lethal Weapon more. Five. He, he he seems to think Lethal Weapon Five would be about the the kids. Like at the end of the fourth one, uh, both uh, Murtaugh's uh, daughter had a had a kid, and yeah, Riggs yeah. and Lorna were having a kid, and he thinks it'll be about them at their uh, early twenties, and they've joined the their their policemen as well. And it's about them with the others being in the movie as a supporting cast. See, I'm so sick of that crap. Like of the. Like we're just going to bank on nostalgia. Like I love nostalgia. I'm a sucker for it. But I want to watch Beverly Hills Cop. I want to yes. watch Jurassic Park. I don't want to watch the guys that were in the movie 40 years ago. Well, not 40, 20, 30 years ago. Come back and play the characters again. So that you get that one moment where they finally come on screen. And you're like, oh my God, look, it's. Eddie Murphy as actual Foley, or look, it's Sam Neill as Alan Grant. Like, like the new Jurassic World bothered me so much because they showed the three of them together, and mm-hmm. there was like this cheesy, like we're gonna keep the camera on them for way too long so that people like get it in their heads. Oh, look, it's the three from the original. Trust Park's my favorite movie of all time. That new one is what is probably the worst movie I've ever seen in my life because of that. I'm like, don't bank on, don't like use nostalgia to make money like just leave these movies alone and yeah, that's, the, the, that's my problem with it jurassic park should have stopped at the third one yes a hundred percent jurassic world is not terrible the very first one but it shouldn't have happened as far right. as a remake or not a remake a reboot goes it's one of the better ones still not good and it's just good because chris pratt's a great actor bryce Dallas howard's great like there's good things about it but it should not have happened and this top four should not happen. The only thing I saw when I saw Chris Pratt doing that was Star Lord. I saw oh, Star Lord and Dinosaurs. That's all I saw. Yeah, I know. I, it, I, it is very hard. To me, to me, I can't see him as anything else anymore. See, I, Some people, I'm a big Parks and Rec fan, and I, I just see him as Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec. I never, I never watched that show. Before. Amazing. Amazing. Never happened in my life. Yeah. I, I keep hearing it's great and I should watch it, but I've never it seen is. it. It's um, a, Amazing, the greatest cast in a comedy show of all time, for sure. I see. I just don't know if it's the kind of humor that I like. Is the thing I've seen clips of it, but I never watched the show. And I know that you got the guy uh, Steve um, Carell. I think his name is. No, no, that's The Office. That's The Office. Have okay. you ever seen The Office? The Office is what I'm thinking of. Then I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Well, The Office and Parks and Rec are basically the exact same thing. I mean, as far as like 
format because Parks and Rec was supposed to be a spinoff from The Office. Okay. And then they just ended up rewriting it. The same people that made it, like Greg Daniels, Michael Schroer. So I don't know. It's, um, it seemed like the, the humor just wasn't in it for me. The, if you don't like parts, that kind of type of humor, you won't like it. I mean, it's just one of those yeah. things. I mean, I'm the same yeah. way with like uh, Big Bang Theory. I think it's the worst thing ever invented. Uh, and see, I will, I will laugh till I can't no more watching that. Sometimes can't. between that, between that and Friends, and Friends, see, if you think about it, Friends shouldn't have been as funny as it was. To me, but to me, it was funny. I mean, no, a lot see, of other people, but to me, the three most unfunny things ever created are Big Bang Theory, Friends, and Seinfeld. I was gonna say if you don't put Seinfeld in there, Seinfeld was- to me. Is the is one of the most boring shows ever. I think. I mean, you look at somebody you know does comedy. I'm supposed to idolize Jerry Seinfeld. I don't think he's funny. I think he is. He's also well. I, he's just not somebody I look up to in any right. way. And yeah, and Friends is just so boring to me. But I, I don't know. Some people like it. I don't know what made me like it so much. I really don't. But yeah, I mean, I did. I got into it big, and I still love to watch it when it comes up. If I catch a rerun, mm-hmm. I'll sit there and I'll watch two or three in a row because you know TBS will play it all day oh, long. Oh yeah, 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 um, and everything. But uh, going over time a little bit, I guess I better cut yeah, it back a little bit. Right. See, you're you're going to come back on the show again. We got too much to talk about. Yes, I would we, love you, to. We have we have way too. We're just going to come back and just have us an '80s day. I'm down be. for you sure. Know, we won't have a movie to talk about. We won't have. Just a genre. We'll just have it. Just this is a, an 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 eighties flashback where we're just okay. talking everything that happened back in that time frame that we liked and didn't like and all that good stuff. That would be something fun to do. I think. Perfect. I'm so, I'm hundred percent down. But the, the the Beverly Hills Cop deal. Uh, I'll go ahead and say you know as far as my favorite thing again. Once again, I'm going to fall back to the scene where he's doing the bananas in the tailpipe and the waiter knows what he's doing too. That's the funny thing. He knows mm-hmm. what's going on. But he doesn't tip him off or say anything about it. He just lets him put it in there and then takes off and they can't go nowhere because it backfires bad. And for anybody wondering if that really works, I know someone who actually did it to one of our bosses a long time ago. It works. Yeah. (laughs) It's great. Um, But uh, once again, one more time before we get off here, give everybody your show again. Tell them where they can find you one more time and let's make sure we get that out there. Yeah, man. So it's uh, the Cody Tucker show. It's on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, like anywhere where you can get podcasts. I mean, it's video on YouTube, obviously audio on everything else. Um, new episodes every Tuesday. Um, yeah, and then I'll have some dates coming up pretty soon for stand-up. So if you just follow me on Instagram at the Cody Tucker, I'll post any dates, any links to the podcast. Uh, yeah, uh, that's about it. Yep, and we definitely want to get Cody back on with us again soon. We were just discussing earlier an all 80s throwout show we'll call it or something just to just to sit back and talk about all but all the great things that was 80s we could bring up some movies some shows some some music some of our uh maybe some even some of our favorite music from a movie perhaps we'll throw out there who knows we'll have a lot of fun with it though uh you guys know the drill for us here though you can be found like you said anywhere you get your podcast at uh mainly on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, if you do go to Spotify and iTunes, make sure you leave us a review and a uh, rating there, if you will. It does help. Moves us up the ladder a little bit and gets more notice for us. Uh, Instagram, 
at retro life for you is the best way to reach me however if you want to email me at retro life for you at gmail.com you can get me there as well if you have any things you want to put out there for maybe ideas for future shows questions complaints uh want to tell us we're both wrong that uh star wars is great and beverly hills cop sucks you can go ahead and do that too hey we're open for that go ahead that's cool but uh yeah cody thanks for coming on man i really appreciate it we'll get you back on the show again soon I'll be in touch with you through Instagram and everything. Uh, we working with the dad here soon for it. Sounds good. No, anytime, anytime, man. I really appreciate you having me on. I had a blast. All right. Well, next being the case, everybody, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for telling all your friends about it and getting it out there. You know, you haven't done it yet, but you're going to. I know. I got faith in you all. Y'all are going to do it. And uh, we'll see you guys next time.